think about what we're talking about, fulfillment. It's like if you uh, order something from Amazon, <laughs> it's actually called fulfillment. They fulfill the order. So I'm wanting and I'm desiring a whatever, and then they fulfill it. So you desire, you hanker, and then that returns, that comes to you. So if you would, please write down what you would consider personal fulfillment. And we're not going to embarrass anybody. We're going to put them in a little cup. And, uh, and then we're going to discuss them. So this is, it's, it's private. So fulfillment. What is it that you feel personally you need to feel fulfilled? So think about that a little bit. So sometimes we order from Amazon and we get our order fulfilled. But is it possible that we might get fulfillment from an order that we placed maybe last lifetime? Or a long, long time ago we forgot about it? So that's called uh, karma. I did some, had some desire a long time ago, maybe even in a previous life. I had this, in, this intense desire. And so I performed activities to get this desire. And so the fulfillment came much later on. And I'd even forgotten that I'd asked about this. So fulfillment can come immediately. It can take a little while or it can take a long time. But uh, fulfillment is still there. By the way, anybody here for the first time? Any first timers? Well, how did you find out about this insanity? Uh, I finished my yoga certification at Yoga Connection, and this okay. Priscilla brought us here. So I've been a few times to the Sunday festival, but this is my first time in Christian. Oh, well, welcome. What's your name? Shauna. Shauna? And you? Are you guys together or separate? Yeah. All of all four of you together? No, there's three of us. Oh. So if they're with you, they're not admitting it. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, she'll say, What is this? So you guys came together? How did you guys find out about us? I've been eating here a few times and I really like the atmosphere. Actually I just saw a little post on you know that I showed yeah, great. And you brought these guys with you. Yeah. Will you ever forgive him for this? <laughs> uh, now we are uh, in the Western world, especially in uh, uh, North America, we're known as the Hare Krishnas. In India, uh, we're known as Vaishnavas. Vaishnavas. The, uh, we practice bhakti yoga. You've heard of bhakti yoga? Yeah, bhakti yoga. Oftentimes bhakti yoga is described, but it's, uh, many times, it's misunderstood. <clears throat> uh, bhakti yoga is the yoga of love. So there are many different yogas, uh, different yoga systems. And actually the yoga system is like a, a ladder as you go through the different processes of yoga. You're 
increasing your ability to get to bhakti yoga. See? Uh, first, it starts with uh, yam. Some people pronounce it yama, but it's really pronounced yam. And then there's niyam, or niyama, but niyam. Yam, niyam. Niyam means clean up your act and become a good person. You know? Niyam means behave with the rest of the world like a really good person. So this is before asana. Asana is how to sit, you know, then how to breathe and how to... So this is a whole process to get uh, you uh, fit so that you can get to the yoga of love. So yoga... Um, that word yoga, the Sanskrit uh, word, the English definition would be to yoke, to link. It means to actually relink. So yoga is a process uh, we think of as a process, and it is a process of getting the body fit, the breathing apparatus fit, and so on. Uh, <clears throat> but it's the whole uh, yoga practice is meant to link you with the Supreme, you see? So all these different steps lead you. Now what are you going to do when you get the Supreme? You, you uh, share love. So that's the only thing that God wants from you is your love, you see? So stop me with questions at any time. And uh, and then we're going to go and we're going to read your cards. Don't let me forget to collect their cards. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see another new guy. You um, sneaked in here, huh? I did. I was walking by. Uh huh. On the way to my room, and I saw this room full of people. So <laughs> Are you staying here? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I first started staying about eight years ago. But we come down to Tucson to teach Qigong. And so it's it like a good place to stay. Yeah, well, great. So What's I, your name? Troy. Troy. And I forgot to ask your names. I'm Joel. Joel. Clayton. Clayton. Elliot. Elliot. Now, I'm terrible with names. So. Uh, Many years ago, I've, I've always been like this, but many years ago, I talked to a friend of mine who was a psychologist, and he knew me well. I said, why is it that I don't ever remember people's names? It takes me a long time. And he said, because names don't mean anything to you. It's the look in their eye, the way they smile, the way they hold themselves. There is something else about them. I've been a devotee for a long time. I've been doing this since 1973? 73, a tool of or 73, right? I forget. <laughs> so, but he said, you know, uh, uh, and he knew a little bit about our philosophy. He says, obviously, you, you deal with people on a soul-to-soul -soul basis, and the name doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. You know, but that that uh, that offends people. If if you say my name doesn't mean anything, 
you know, but um, it does when we get to know each other. So, so pardon me in advance if I forget your names. Is that okay, Fred? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean Bob. <laughs> what if I just give you numbers? <laughs> nice guy with great smile. How about that? <laughs> guy with happy eyes. Lady with charming smile. You know, how about that? So, all right. So, does it has has everybody written in fulfillment? Would you like to pass them up? Let's just talk about it. I mean, this this is really um, about you. Not a lecture. God, don't you hate lectures? <laughs> I've got a couple of things written down here. Sometimes I write these things down and we don't even need them. The discussion is so good. So fulfillment. Uh, there's different kinds of fulfillment. Um, fulfillment might be, um, gee whiz, I'm hungry. So I have this strong desire. I want to eat. So then you go to the restaurant and you pig out, and now you've been fulfilled, right? Um, and then a little while later, you feel like you need to eat again. So fulfillment in the material sense uh, is a temporary thing. It's a temporary fix. You see, I want, I desire, I make some uh, actions to get the reaction. You know, so again, let's use the Amazon. You know, everybody understands that one. I have a desire. I want a new one of these cups that says "Be grateful." So, there's my desire. I have an intense desire for it. So now I'm going to perform actions, activities to get it. So I'm going to go online. I'm going to sign in. And uh, I'm going to put it in my cart. Then I'm going to check out, and I'm going to give them my credit card. You see? So I did the action. First I had the desire. Then I perform the action. Then I get the reaction. It comes in the mail. You see what I mean? So this is, uh, this is what's going on in the material world. Uh, in everything that you do, you have aspirations, you have desires, hankering. And sometimes they're just a little bit, and sometimes it's something really strong, driving. Got to have that. You know, uh, so from these desires, we perform actions. All actions have reactions. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton famous scientist, said that for every action, there's an equivalent and opposite reaction. So science identifies this law of karma. In the Bible, it says, as ye sow, so shall ye reap. So, you see, I do, I get. 
and most of us agree that what goes around comes around. So this is the law of karma, the law of cause and effect. So we're driven by what we want. We have desires. I want to be a scientist. All right, I have to perform certain activities. So then I'll go to a particular school, you see, and I'll get the particular training. So I'm doing the action. I have the desire, I do the action, and then uh, I get my reaction, I get my diploma, you see. Then I have a desire for money, so I get a job as a scientist. I go perform the work of a scientist, a reaction, I get paid, you see. So this is, uh, the, uh, this is the, the driving force, actually, of the material world. We, the living entities, uh, what do I mean by living entities? So let me, let's get to that. Um, show of hands, I love to do this. I never get tired of doing it. Show of hands, how many of you believe you have a soul? Okay. So if you have a soul, then who and what? Please tell me, is this you that has a soul? This me that has a soul is my outer left. Our body is the one that's going to go through the experience and learn the lessons. And the soul is the computer inside of there that keeps track of all those past lives and brings me to be able to handle what's going on here and now that's needed and going into the next phase and the next phase. So the next you're phase. the, you're, you have a soul. Mm -hmm. You sure you brought it with you tonight? I don't know if I brought it. Sometimes mine. I brought it, but yes, I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the understanding of uh, yoga, the living entity is you. Mm -hmm. You don't and have a soul. soul. You are a soul. That's it, exactly. Now, the reason why we That's think right. we have a soul is because all of us here, all of us embodied entities, we're souls that are embodied. We believe that we are this body. So the very first step to... Uh, in advancement in spiritual consciousness, regardless of uh, what the re religion is, but the very first step is to understand that I am not this temporary body. I am a, an eternal soul. Now that means eternal, let's define eternal because there's different misconceptions about that word. Eternal means eternal. It doesn't mean starting now, going for eternity. Eternal means always has been, always will be. This is a bigger picture of eternality, you see. So if you, the soul, are eternal, you always have existed. Never was there a time when you did not exist and you shall always exist. And never could there possibly be a time when you would cease to be. You're unborn, you have no beginning and no end. And that's, for those of us in the material world, that's a little difficult to understand because everything here has a beginning, you see? And everything here has an end, you see? As you get to the point as you get older in life, and I don't want to make it sound terrible because it's not that bad, but as you get older, you're going to realize uh, 
the nature of death more and more. When I think of the number of people that I have known in my life that are dead, it's staggering when you get in your 70s, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's been that way for so many years. I just take it as when I hear of one of my god brothers that we joined together back in the 70s, and I hear that they, they've left their body, you know, their soul has left. It's not all, it's no longer a, ah, what? Oh my God. You know, it's like, oh, uh, another one has gone on. These bodies have an expiration date. They don't tell us what it is. You know, you go to the store and buy something, it'll say, best of used by, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, throw in the trash by November 1st. Yeah. But we don't have that, so we don't know, which, you know, it's kind of unsettling, too, you know. Therefore, we don't dwell on that a lot, do we? I mean, who wants to go there? I mean, boy, what a buzzkill. Do they still use that? Is that still? Okay. It's hard for me. <laughs> More now than ever. Okay. I heard that a couple of years ago, and I thought, wow, that's so apropos, you know buzzkill. We could have really used that back in the 60s. <laughs> I mean, it has a big meaning. It may be a different meaning to someone who survived the 60s. You know? So, uh, yeah, we don't talk a lot about that. And there's many things that we ponder in our youthful years, and uh, we don't really get the answers. And it seems to be kind of difficult to get a definitive answer for some of these questions. Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? You can get all these different answers. And you'll get one that'll sound really good. And you'll kind of go with that for a while. Then a little bit later, you'll read a book and there's something else that sounds even better. And then as you go along a little bit more, this is what happened to me throughout the, the, the 60s. Going into the 1970s, I was hearing all of these different philosophies. It was just enchanted. But then they kept replacing each other. I thought we'd find a new one. And then um, I happened across the devotees of Krishna. And I started to read Bhagavad Gita. I met my guru, Srila Prabhupada. We don't have a picture of Prabhupada. You do? You do? Oh. oh, there he is. My guru, and uh, all of a sudden I got all these questions answered. And I was about 25, I think, at the time, something like that. So I was fortunate. But a lot of my friends who didn't have this kind of experience, uh, by the time they were in their late 20s, they had put all that stuff aside because I'm out of school, I'm working. We're having kids, you know, got three kids, three kids to put through college, two cars to pay for, mortgage, you know, that was fun to sit around the, the fire and talk about, you know, when back in the 60s, but hey, I got to deal with real life now. I got I to make a living. I've got to make responsibility. So people have a tendency to put this stuff away, you see. I've noticed that so much. You know, practically everybody 
that I go back and look up. I don't do that anymore, but I used to. I went through a period in my 50s when I'd go look up people that I knew when I was in my 20s. And uh, I stopped because it, was, it wasn't pretty, you see. Um, and I couldn't help them. You know, they would say, you yeah, know, well, look at you, you know, it looks like you're doing well. You know, how much do they pay you? I said, they don't pay me anything. Nobody pays me anything. Oh my God, that's terrible. You know, can't even imagine a life without income. And uh, so uh, we had nothing in common. But they had taken this idealism uh, that we're going to find out the meaning of life and kind of put it aside and gone on to, to do other things. That's just normal. I'm not being judgmental or critical. I hope I don't come off like that. I'm just observing. That's what I observed. So, uh, so because of that, the ones that I've talked with, not one of them. How many of you ever met any, have you ever met any of your old friends? Have you found any yet? Or relatives that were really fulfilled? You know, you talk to them, you say, how are things going? Fabulous. Great. You know, and they don't mean just, I'm just saying that to get you off my back and out of my face. No, things are really good. Things are going great. A, a person that's fulfilled won't go on and on and on about being fulfilled. Once you're fulfilled, then that in and of itself is the prize. You're fulfilled. You see, you take possession of being fulfilled. And uh, then you'll have a burning desire to help others become fulfilled. But it's not something that you think all day, every day, wow, or you meet somebody, Hey, I'm fulfilled. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not like that. You just are. You see, you feel satisfaction. So then, uh, when you get there, you want to give it. You want to distribute it, share it. You see, the 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 nature of us uh, sharing a loving relationship means sharing what I have. That's if I know something that can make you happy or satisfied or fulfilled, I have a burning desire to do that. So, uh, all right. Fulfillment, uh, self-acculation, self-acculation. What does self-acculation mean? I think that's like self-actualization. Okay, actual, sex, self-actualization. Yeah, in other words, uh, self-realization. I want to know about myself. So this means I want, I want to and I need to transcend my bodily consciousness. So <clears throat> if I am this body, then I'm in a world of trouble. Now, you guys are all young. You're in a world of trouble too, but you don't have to worry about it. Well, you got a whole lifetime to go. Remember thinking like that, Mary? You got a whole lifetime to go. I still feel that way. <laughs> well, but you're not in your 70s. Not, yeah. When you're in your 70s, 
I mean, I, I realize I can do the math. If I live to be the average, well, I don't have that many years left. I mean, I'm talking about the body. As far as death, I'm not concerned with death. Uh, I know I'm going to, I'm going to be here or somewhere. I'm just going to be, I am, and I'll continue to be. So, but what about if I am this body, then I'm in a big trouble because this body's going to die. And as you get older, you realize it ain't going to be that long. That changes the way you deal with things, changes the way you deal with your life. Yeah, and you think um, getting in shape, I planned that for you. Well, I got to do that now, you know? Listening to what the doctor says about proper diet, you know, I really ought to, I really ought to pay attention to that. 30 years ago, you think, nah, I've got a whole lifetime. So, yeah, self-actualization, that is fulfillment. So, but if you don't know exactly what that is, how do you know when you get it? So that therein, that, that, that's a problem. Because I may talk to him, and I may talk to him, and I may talk to her, and I get all these different uh, aspects of self-realization. And then, if you're like me, I'm all, I've always been this way. And uh, people who know me, I think, get a little tired of it. But I'm a, an analytical analytic. I, I like to... I analyze. If something's interesting, I, I need to drill down and really get to know. So someone says to me, self-realization is this. Then I listen to it, I think, and I digest it. There's always questions. Well, but how do you know? Where did you get that? Well, I just woke up one day and it was in my sleeve. I pulled it out, you know. It's, I just pulled it out of my sleeve. Or I, I heard him say something, and I heard him say something, and she was saying something. So I, I took a little bit of each one, and I put together this self-realization thing of, of my own. And so in other words, a lot of this self-realization is uh, speculation. That's another thing that you can do and get away with for a long time when you're young. But as time goes by, if you're sincere about finding the truth about yourself, well, then you have to rule out speculation. I want it. So whenever I get around people and they start saying, well, I think it could be, I, my mind just automatically starts going, I don't want this. I don't want, no, I don't want speculation, you know? How do you get to Phoenix? Well, I don't know, but it could be. Oh, hold, on. hold on. You. Have you ever been to Phoenix? Yeah. How did you get there? Well, I got on I-10. I headed west. Great. You see? But if someone's like, well, I don't know. You can head north on 77 out of Oil Valley and wander around, and there's a really good chance you'll find Phoenix. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> Google. 
<laughs> you know, there's another something about Google. I don't know if any of you, all of you, I'm sure, have used uh, Google Maps or some form of it. So, uh, for Google Maps to work, there's some very important thing that you have to furnish. What is that? Where are you? Huh? Where are you? Well, it knows where you are. Destination. Destination. Where do you want to go? When you tell Google Maps the destination, you know, Google will want to go to Govinda's restaurant in Tucson. Now, Google can give you a path to get there. But if you just want a path, then you don't know where you're going to end up. It's like George Harrison. You know, has everybody heard of George, George Harrison? You know, the Beatle? Okay. Be surprised how many. I'm getting so old. A lot of people have never heard of George, or even the Beatles. They've never heard of them. Uh, George Harrison. Uh, he wrote a song about this. He said, "If you don't know where you're going, any path will do." So that was kind of like him trying to wake people up. George Harrison was a, a very, uh, very famous and very uh, involved devotee of Krishna. He was very involved in our movement. Uh, gave tremendous, tremendous resources to our movement. Uh, anyway, so if you don't know the destination, then you could just take any path. So if someone says, I believe that it's this way and that way, you can say, cool, I'm going with that. You see? So when you really get to the point, uh, and another uh, analogy is, let's say you want to go on vacation. And you go to, uh, uh, I guess they still have travel agents, don't they? Or, mm -hmm. no? <laughs> All right, if, if they did have a travel agent, <laughs> there's still one or two of them around. Like that. I've got one that I keep using uh, because I just don't want to cut him out. I've used him for many years when I go to India, and I know all the flights, and I could do this online without him. But we have a personal relationship, and he doesn't cost me anything. And he's getting old, and you know he needs the money. So, uh, but if you go to a travel agent, you say I want to go on vacation. So he's going to say, well, where do you want to go? And if you say I don't know. Then, so you don't have a destination. Okay, then let me help you. What is it that you want? Do you want uh, mountains and snow? Maybe Vail would be good. Uh, Alaska? Uh, do you want sun and beach? Hawaii is good. Florida? Stay up all night and gamble? Talk in Vegas or Atlantic City? You see what I mean? So in order to come up with what is my destination, what do I want, uh, where do I want to go, <coughs> what do you want from that destination? This is just intelligent. Before you uh, choose a spiritual destination, what is it that you need from that spiritual destination to be fulfilled? And I don't mean just fulfilled like eating a healthy meal, but I mean so fulfilled that it stays with you eternally. You see, uh, there's different concepts of this uh, 
this fulfillment. Sometimes uh, um, different religions dis describe it differently. And they're all correct. You know, what is this place of uh, eternal ecstatic fulfillment? So, and once you go there to this destination of, that will fulfill you, if you're smart, you're going to want to know, what do I get? What am I going to do when I get there? For eternity. I mean, come on. If I get there, I mean, eternity's a long, long time. So whatever's going on there, I better be really keen, you know? I mean, it's got to be like, otherwise, I don't know. I don't know if that's... So choose your spiritual destination based on what it is that will fulfill you. And um, self-realization is a step towards finding out what it is that will fulfill you on an eternal basis. Because you have to find out if we're not these bodies, and I think we agree that we're not, uh, if we're not, then what the heck are you? What is your eternal nature? What is it that pleases you? What is it that displeases you? And I'm not talking about the kind of food that you like to eat or whatever that has to do with this body. You know, in this particular birth, if you have, if you're born in one ethnic group, you may be attracted to a certain kind of food. Last body, you might have been in a different ethnic group, and you were attracted to another kind of food, and music, and like that, you see. But uh, this eternal you, this eternal soul that you are, we need to find out about that. That's self-realization. Who are you? And why are you? It's not enough to establish that I am. I want to know why. Why am I? You see, so I need answers, not speculation. I need answers on why do I exist? You see, um, so let me go on. Ful fulfillment, to be content. Different levels of contentment. Uh, I can't read very well. Can you read this for me? I've got good glasses, but I have terrible eyes. Fulfillment to be content, different levels of contentment, short term. Uh. <laughs> Come on. Oh, you don't have your glasses with you. No, no, I can read. Okay. It's the right You're going to offend that she's. <laughs> Are you passing judgment? <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe that's just intermediate. Midterm, long term. Achieve by accomplishing goals. And they have a little arrow. Huh. According to short term, midterm, and long term. Yeah. <laughs> so, and fulfillment goes like that. I get some short term fulfillment. I eat when I'm hungry, that's short term, because it's going to come back later today. Huh? Um, 
Long term, maybe I, I, I start a, um, a spousal relationship. You see? That could be long term. Could be short term. 53% of them in America are kind of short term. <laughs> I think we have the highest in the world right now. I get around a little bit to other parts of the world. America's, this is the greatest place in the world, really, it truly is. I mean, I love this place more than any place that I go. Uh, but we'll talk about that maybe over, over a meal. Why is America so such a sweet place? But, um, um, well, anyway, I don't want to get off of that. It's a whole long thing. I, I've had, I had a lot of real emotions. On this recent tour, when I went to India, you know, I had a lot of, I mean, I had these realizations, but they got stronger, you know. Uh, being gone out of the U.S. for a long time, looking at the U.S. through other people's eyes, you know. Uh, anyway, it was kind of disturbing. Fulfillment, being in the zone, yeah. Feeling the moment from a perspective outside the body. Yeah, outside. it's an outside the body. Fulfillment <clears throat> is not within the body. Uh, the body has all kinds of desires. Uh, there are four basic desires that uh, motivate um, human beings. Doesn't apply to the animals, but human beings um, have a desire for profit. It's money. I like to have, it starts out sometimes we think, well, I want just enough. But just enough is hardly ever enough because when I get that amount, a little bit more wouldn't hurt. And some people, they start out wanting a lot right now. So I'll work hard and I'll go to school, spend a lot of money on education, and I'll get fulfilled with money. So profit. Um, and you know what? Fame would be nice. Wouldn't that be great? To hear people whispering when you go to a restaurant restaurant over there. Hey, isn't that so-and-so? That's the guy. You know? That's her. I know it's her. You know, and you could say, yeah. And your bodyguards could be there with you. Uh, some people are attracted to that. You know, some, I think a lot of people aren't. You know? Uh, for me, when I can get into a place where nobody knows who I am, sometimes it's kind of nice. You know? So, um, so profit. I want money. Fame. I want to be known. Uh, distinguishment. I want to be distinguished. Of whatever it is that I do, I want to be in the top percentile. I want to be distinguished. I don't want to be average. And you know what? I really, once I get all this stuff, I think I would be entitled to some adoration. I want somebody to adore me. So fame, profit, adoration, and distinction are the four things that motivate us to do stuff. You see? Uh, I mean, there may be... Once in a while, you might do something because you want to please somebody, you know. But basically, we make our long-term decisions in life based on 
first profit. I need money, uh, distinction, adoration, and fame if I can get it. If I get fame, then I can get adoration, right? If I get money, then maybe I can get fame. I get fame, I can get adoration. And then you see how it works? You know, if I get all these, then I'll be distinguished. You see? My wife is much prettier than, than yours. And I'm richer than you are. So I'm distinguished. So uh, I know many, many uh, extremely wealthy people. And uh, this is what I'm telling you is true. And most of these folks that I know and I know, and I'm not talking about people who have a million dollars. I'm talking about billionaires. And most of them see through it. No, this isn't the all in all. I'm not any happier than somebody working at Starbucks. Sometimes they wonder, am I as happy as the greeter at Walmart? You know? Uh, because if you have so much of the material resources, incredibly handsome, uh, uh, you're attracted and adored, and you have lots of money and fame, then because I'm, I have more, I should be enjoying more. It doesn't work that way, you see? It just really doesn't. I have more, so therefore, I have more than you, I should be enjoying on a higher level than you. That only makes sense, materially. But fulfillment is really only tasted by the soul. The body never really gets fulfilled for a very long time. It kind of comes and goes. You surf it, you know, you get it and it comes in. It's like the waves of a beach, they come in and they go. Um, but fulfillment is something that's tasted by the soul. You get it and you have it. End. That's it. Sanskrit, there's a word, bas, meaning finished. I get fulfillment, bas. Now it's, it's over. I have it. And it's because it's fulfilling, I don't want anything else. I have no desire. So uh, what's it like to go through life not having any desires? That's fulfillment. But for that to happen, you can't fulfill the body or the perceived desires or perceived needs of the body. It will never give you long-lasting fulfillment. It cannot. But if you can fulfill the soul, uh, and there's only really one way to, to fully fulfill the soul, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Uh, detachment from material aggravation. So I can be, have peace of mind. Yeah. Um, Lord Buddha taught that. If I can have uh, this detachment, if I can achieve nirvana. Nirvana is a Sanskrit word. Some people think it's a Tibetan word, but it's that's, you know, Buddha came from India. See, so nirvana is a Sanskrit word. And does anybody know what... You, you, you probably know. Like void. Void. It's zero, zip, nada, nothing. Void. So why did we want, why did Lord Buddha 
And it's a real place. You can achieve the nirvanic void. So what, what do you get when you get there? What did Buddha promise? Shanti. Peace. You get shanti. So, and it's real. It's not like it's phony or he didn't know what he was talking about. He wasn't speculating. This is a, a place that you can go to get peace. So, all right, now let's take that as, I, I, I always have to drill it down, you know. Once you get peace, and you're peaceful for a really long time, and you start to realize, man, this is really peaceful. Wow, peace is great. <laughs> All right, what else you got? <laughs> I mean, I'm peaceful, I'm ready for what? I kind of like a hug. I'm in here, I'm peaceful, I'm all alone, I'm in a void. Void means there's nothing. So who do I love? Who loves me? Where is loving exchange? You see, it's real and you can go there. On the, in that same kind of philo philosophical, um, and Lord Buddha had a reason why he taught this. And we'll talk about that later on. He wasn't trying to be, he wasn't misled. Lord Buddha is an incarnation of, of Krishna. So, uh, then there's the Mayavadi philosophers, and they uh, tout liberation into the Brahm Jyoti. Brahm Jyoti, you've heard that? It's the dazzling effulgence to merge into the light. It's very common. In, uh, well, it's very common. It really is common, not just in India, but in many places. It's very, very common to want to go and merge into the light. What do you get when you do, when you uh, achieve that? And you can do it. It's very, very difficult. Ashtanga yoga practice is to elevate the life airs up to a point uh, in the neighborhood of the third eye and choose the time when you leave your body so that the soul leaves the top of the head. And this takes a lot, many of them, like decades, actually hundreds of years of meditation and being able to move your life air, the soul, to bring your soul up to the point where you exit at a particular time and, and then you can achieve uh, the Brahma Jyoti. This is Mayabad philosophy. What do you get when you get there? Shanti. The darkness of Nirvana and the brilliance light of uh, Brahm Jyoti give you Shanti, you get peace. And both of them, you can stay there as long as you want. So the question is, what do you do for loving exchange? Now you achieved your uh, desire, your goal of getting away from the craziness of the material world, the insanity of dealing with all this that's going on here, you've got peace. So it's a place that you can go and stay as long as you want. Uh -huh. but typically the living entity, when they achieve Nirvana or Brahmajyoti, after some time, and it's different for different ones, they desire love. If I'm in, if I'm part of the light and you're part of the light, 
<laughs> what is it about you to appreciate? You know? I mean, surely you have a personality. There's something about you, you know? Sense of humor, uh, that look in your eye, the way you smile. No, there's none of that. So, you see what I mean? In yeah. order, it's yeah. also like in order to go into the void, you have to get rid of the positives that come along with the negatives that you don't want to deal with. That's that's a great analogy. I mean, yeah. Uh, observation. Yeah, I'm going to toss out the negatives that are driving me crazy in this material world. But at that point, when I decide to work so hard to do this, I don't care. I want to get rid of these negatives. And whatever that means, I'll clean it up later. You know? But yeah, right now, I just need to get the hell out of here. Right. But you can't have a triple A battery without positive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. You gotta have positive and negative. So uh, that, that's a really good observation. So uh, another the connection of the body, soul, heart, and mind unified in the same journey to compassionate peace within. Exactly. Exactly. Peace within. So how does that manifest? I told you I'm like this. I can't help it. You know, I've been doing this for over 70 years. I have to. I have to know. Because that sounds really pretty. That's this is beautiful. But uh, how does it manifest? What is this uh, compassion, peace within? Can I just feel that? No. Huh? No. You can when you get there. You have to turn it to get there. You have to put the put the charge in the love of God connects your heart. Well, it's like it connects to your soul, and it circles around, and um, we have to come to that understanding because we are some are a little off balance all the time. And so, when you do, you get that total fulfillment of nirvana completely in your body, but it doesn't last because life sucks. Yeah. That some people but it does last. Here's here's another uh, analogy. If let's just say that you come from a part of the world, really desolate part of the world, and you and the people that you grew up with had never tasted sugar or anything sweet. You see, no honey, no agave, nothing like that. All the other, you know, there's, there's five major tastes, according to Ayurveda, five major tastes, you know, sour, pungent, and so on. And salty, and then, but you'd, you'd had them all, but you never had sweet. So, how could I describe that to you? How can you, if you were talking to somebody that had never tasted anything sweet, how would you describe? You would describe the sensation of it, which would be like if they had never done it, you know, they're as kid you would describe like, like, Waking up in the morning and having the birds continue and the feeling rushes no, 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 no. to the body. I'm talking about taste. You realize that it's But how, what about the taste? The taste. I, 
So is it, in other words, it's white like salt, so it tastes like salt? No, no, it's not like salt at all. Yeah, so the really the only accurate way is to say here I have some taste it until you taste it I can talk 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 you can speculate speculate but until you put it in my hand so that I can go uh, we're going to go nowhere, you see. Or I may walk away with a nice speculation. If if Now, if I had never tasted it, but I'd heard about it, then we're both dead in the water. I, somebody was telling me about this flavor, sweet. And well, what's it like? Well, I've never tasted it, but I think it's like this and this and that. Okay, well, okay, yeah, that sounds great. But neither one of us would know it if we tripped over it. We wouldn't know. So you've got to find, to get the taste of sugar, you've got to find somebody who can give you a taste. And spiritual understanding is exactly the same way. To uh, understand and perceive that which you have never understood nor perceived, someone has to that has it has to give it to you. Spiritual, otherwise, uh, it will be arrived at through speculation. But somebody, there's a there's a tremendous difference between speculation and reality. Now, once in a while, we speculate, and it's true. It, it's really, but you see, see what I mean? So. But everybody, at one place or another in their life, connects to that feeling. Um, and they understand because when that feeling of the, when the pure absolute love for yourself and whatever it is and those trees are vibrating and you're vibrating at the same frequency and everything you understand that you've reached one with, the, with god it's a complete it's a complete how can you uh how can you understand because your body tells you and your mind tells you and your soul tells you but i am not but i'm not my lives. body I'm not my body. I don't trust my body. So we are here on this I don't trust my mind. Passion. My mind has told me so many things. We're talking about the same mind that that told me that. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and have another shot of tequila. It'll be just fine. <laughs> Go ahead and, yeah, if you can go to the prom with Mary Lou Smith, that'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. So your mind will tell you so many things. You can't listen to it. It's, it's misled us. It's a whole universal wrapping of... But I'm not my mind and I'm not my body. I am a soul. And I need, uh, I need to be communicated to as a soul. Because these are soul understandings. So I have to find someone who knows that they are a soul and sees me as a soul and can communicate with me soul to soul. But not everybody feels the, feels it in the intensity or the levels or the expansion of when you get filled with that nirvana feeling within yourself. So there is nobody, there's people who can describe it to you like the sugar that you have to experience that experience yourself. You have to come to that that lifting of 
Nirvana. Well, I say that I say it has to be given to you by someone who has it. Okay, that's what we say. Yeah. <laughs> we'll agree. So we agree. We agree that we disagree on that. Okay, well, we do a lot of things, but I really love talking to you because yeah. it's fancy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Sometimes I give people a headache. But yeah, so uh, someone that has self-realization can give it to you, you know, and it's not a speculatory type of process and you don't have to imagine it. It's like if I can give you sugar, then you can imagine, you can realize the taste immediately. You don't have to say, oh yeah, I think that this is it, you see. If you're fortunate enough that this happens early enough in life, then you've got history. You know, you go decades and nothing can even come close to replacing it. Because up until that point, uh, most of us go through phases. You know, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a cowboy. You know, I want to be a soldier. Oh, wait a minute, Vietnam? I don't want to go to Vietnam. I don't want to be a soldier, you know? Okay, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be. My destination is, my, I'll be, uh, I'll feel satisfaction. I'll feel fulfillment if I get, and that just keeps changing, decade after decade. You know, when you get into middle, uh, middle age, then things just kind of short out, you know? You kind of think, well, this is what I've experienced from talking to so many people for so many decades. You know, everything shorts out. I don't know what, here I am. You know, I'm not young and I'm not old. So it's like the same thing happens when you're around 18 years old. You're not a, uh, you're not a boy and you're not a man. Remember that song? Remember that song by Alice Cooper? <laughs> I'm 18. I'm a boy and I'm a man. And it's just really I'm I'm frustrated because I don't know what the hell I am. I'm 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 in the middle and I don't know where I am. You know. So these uh, middle age is another one of those transitional stages in life where you're going from one thing to another, and it's never graceful. It's always, you know, like puberty, you know, going through, it's just none of these changes because you get in this twilight where you're not here and you're not there. And so um, when, you, when you get self-realization, all that stops. That all goes away. When you get, when you get um, fulfilled, then bus finished. There is no more fulfillment. You have the top, topmost uh, goal. Now that fulfillment only continues to get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. But you never think, oh, you know, that was really cool. I think I want to try some other fulfillment because I need more fulfillment. You see what I mean? It's a spiritual realization, realization of the self, self-realization. Uh, once you get it, then you're home free. It just continues to grow. You see, the search is over. You know, you're not uh, you're not in the market for for it anymore for fulfillment. You've got it.
you see. Coming back to Yogi's um, Buddha, actually, said this, that at the <coughs> end of his journey to, to enlightenment and fulfillment, he realized that at the end he really knew nothing. But the thing was that he kept his mouth shut and continued to learn. So you don't come to that end. What do you mean? Well, you saying that you, once you're there, that he, he was saying that he went through that whole journey and he found out he really knew nothing and so he continued to look for enlightenment and fulfillment. Then I question, I would say, my dear sir, what is it that you actually achieved? What did you find? Because it should give you the nature of the soul is threefold. Three Sanskrit words, sat, chit, ananda. So you, the soul, and all souls are sat, you've heard this term? Eternal. Sat, I'm eternal. I always have been, always will be. Chit, full of knowledge. Why, there's nothing that I don't know. And ananda, I'm always, always, completely, totally blissful, ecstatic, happy. If uh, if I have doubts about my my sat feature, sat feature can be uh, realized by if I can achieve the impersonal Brahman. The Mayabad philosophy will will allow me to to realize my sat eternal feature. Chit, if I uh, you've heard of Gyan Yoga, Gyan accumulation of knowledge. So now I can realize my, uh, my uh, cheap future, knowledge. But what about bliss? Sat-chit-ananda. I want my bliss. Without my bliss, if I'm not blissful and ha always happy, then I don't know if being eternal is really that good a news. And if I don't have... If I have all kinds of knowledge, but I'm still not happy, then I have to wonder, is my knowledge complete? So I need my, I want my bliss, I want my happiness. Do you see what I mean? Which does not come from bodily pleasures. It comes from, it comes from realizing my position in relationship to the supreme, the supreme soul, God. And then we get into this whole thing of just what is God? So I guess we would probably agree that God is the source of everything. Everything, that, that from which everything cometh. That's God. All right, so uh, everything comes from God. So then God has to have everything for everything to come from it. So that means that this entity, God, from which everything cometh and has everything, has to have, are you ready for this? Personality. You have personality? Where'd you get it? Can you have it and the Supreme doesn't have it? I don't think so. He has personality too. He has a Supreme personality. You see, form. He has to have form. And at the same time, he's unmanifest. And his forms are unlimited. You can't put God in a box and say, 
this is the only conception of God that you're allowed to have. Come on. The source of everything is limited to uh, one personality. So God has unlimited personalities. Is God a male or a female? Yes, he's both. Male and he has male and feminine energy. That comes from him, you see. I mean, if you want to get, and this is something we can talk about later to get right down to it. Uh, the Vedas say Krishna is the only gentleman in Vrindavan. Meaning that all of us, the souls, the living entities, we are feminine in nature. He's the male, the seed giver, and we're feminine. Now, our, our eternal personal relationship with him might be that of a male, or it might be that of a female. However that is, that's personal, that's between you and him, you see. So, but we are feminine in nature, all living entities. So that's a deep thing we could talk about some other time. So, uh, yeah, so God has, God is there. God has form. God has personality. He has unlimited names. But his names mean something. You know, if you call somebody Bob, nobody hears the name Bob, right? Any Bob's here? All right. What does Bob mean? It's just like a... Yes, you say. What's your name? Bob. I, you know, that's why the names don't mean anything. It's just a noise. Bob. You know. Some people like to argue about God having unlimited names. If you go to Russia, my Russian friends, they don't... Uh, in the Russian language, there's no God. You know what the word for God is? Bob. Bah, that means God. In Germany, he's Gott. In uh, France, he's Dios. Dios in Spanish. And he goes on and on and on. So God has unlimited names. Uh, and all of these names mean something. And then there's Yahweh, which the, the Jews don't really... As a, as a Jew, you don't say that. I know, my mother was a Jew. You know what that makes me, don't you? <laughs> by birth. So it's, that's a, that name isn't said. It's said by maybe the rabbi says it, maybe a couple times a year, special times. But the Jewish people don't go around saying, Yahweh. No, no. It's, it's a special, it's a sacred name that they don't vibrate. So you see all these names, and they all have meanings. This word, this name Krishna, means all attractive, all loving one, source of love. Good description of God. All attractive, most beautiful, you know, the most loving, uh, most attractive. So, therefore, Krishna says, of all of my unlimited incarnations and all of my unlimited forms and all of my personalities, I'm the supreme personality. Because I'm the one that you come that you come to when you want love. It's not that, well, I'm Krishna and I can beat the rest of them up. 
you know, it's nothing like that. But I'm the personality that you come to when you when you want to embrace the supreme personality physically, not just you know. An expression of love means action, not just feeling. I'm sitting here, if I'm just sitting here feeling my love for you, you may never know it, right? So it means action. When someone does that action of uh, loving, it almost always ignites a reaction of loving. If you're loving the proper kind of person. So uh, Krishna's like that. If you offer some loving, immediately there's a reaction. Love comes back. Actually, the love is always flowing from him to you. So let's get to, uh, before we eat, and I'll, I'm going to read some more questions while we, while we eat, but let's get to the why. Why do I exist? This is a heavy question. Why do I exist? So let's back up a little bit, backtrack. God is the source of everything, right? So that means he has everything. So God, according to Ishul Parishad, is the complete whole. He doesn't need, any, he's not missing anything. So he's the complete whole in and of himself. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need anything. He's the complete whole. And yet, you exist to enhance his ecstasy. Because if I am the source of love, I would like to have an object to throw my love to. <coughs> and the, the taste of the reciprocation. Now, he doesn't need that, but it does enhance his ecstasy. So therefore, we exist. The souls exist. So this is self-realization. When you realize why you exist. I'm an eternal, loving associate of the supreme source of love. And really, that's there's no place to go beyond that. There is no further realization. Why do I exist? And if this is true if you're a Christian, no matter what you what you believe you are. If you're a Christian, you exist to enhance God's ecstasy. If you're a Muslim, I know I've got many Muslim friends in India who've talked about this, and they agree. You exist to enhance God's ecstasy, to enhance Allah's ecstasy. Yes, you're right. Exactly. So that now that we agree on the end result, no matter what else, all the details that we might disagree on, we're united in that we know that we both exist to give pleasure and enhance God's ecstasy. So then, whatever differences we may have, we can easily forget those, right? Because we're really, we're, our purpose for existence is exactly the same. So it doesn't matter what color you are, what religion you are, what name you have for the entity you consider to be God, none of that matters to me. So long as we can agree that you exist 
to enhance God's ecstasy. And you do that by loving, just by loving. So, and you can put on whatever costume or whatever name that it takes. You can call whatever. Uh, if that process will take you to loving God, then it's bona fide. If it'll give you that end of loving God. It, I always like to tell people, uh, if you're talking about a religion, let me stop you right there. I want to know, will this religion put Krishna in my arms? Can I get God in my arms? I mean, in my embrace. If the answer is yes, then it's totally bona fide. And I don't care how you get there. I don't care what you have to do to get there. But if that's your goal, then you're pure-hearted. <coughs> and that's uh, the summum bonum of spiritual knowledge. I want, I want uh, my dear most friend, I want God. And I want him in my arms. I want to embrace him. He's mine, and I want him. And I want to please him. I want to do something to please him. Where does the she come in? The feminine energy? Well, the feminine energy uh, is Sanskrit word Radha, Radha Rani. I actually have to please her to get to him. If I please her, then he becomes very attractive. You see what I mean? So, all right, why don't you, everybody get a plate, and I'm going to go um, take care of something very necessary right now. And, uh, and I'll be back. Huh? Yeah, you can shut it down. Hare Krishna. Namaskar. <laughs> <gasps> you made chapatis. Oh, wow. Chaitanya Leela, did you do this? Yeah. Wow. When when you get this loving relationship uh, with God, it then you'll have it with everybody, every living entity, regardless of the differences. You know, if that's your function to be a supreme lover, then you can't say, well. That only applies to the white people or the dark people or the Democrats or the Republicans or the Americans or the French. You know, it's, it's so mundane to start adding the bodily thing. You see what I mean? Well, gee whiz, I think we could be friends if, if you vote for my candidate. How insane that is. That is so pathetic. And yet, so many of our fellow men, because they identify with the body. I am my body. I am my mind. You're your body and you're your mind. I don't like your mind, buddy. You see? Therefore, there's struggle and oh, hate, anger. Anger in, in a Sanskrit word for anger is quote. It's cold. It has to be overcome. You have to overcome it. It has to leave you. 
Because as long as it's there and it can spring up at any minute without a, a notification, then you're never going to be happy for a long, long period of time. If something, if something can make you angry, then something will make you angry. Once you get angry, you lose access to your intelligence. You see? I get angry at you. You ever notice when somebody gets angry, they'll they'll exaggerate? You know? Well, you always do that. Well, you don't always do it. You always treat me like this. No, I don't. But, you know, I'm angry. I'm really whizzed off. And so now I want to hurt you. I want to cause you pain. I don't know, go so far as to throw a rock at you or something, but maybe I can hurt your heart. And that'll give me some satisfaction if I can hurt your heart. This is totally unspiritual. This is total, this is completely mundane consciousness. If you ever feel any taste of anger, you have to work on that. You have to practice this bhakti yoga and get to the point where anger is almost impossible. It will become, practically speaking, impossible. The only time you might feel it is, is if someone is harming someone is, that is very close to you. you. See, Then you may feel some anger. You get into the mode of passion and you need to save this person. But as far as personal attack, you know, the devotee of Krishna feels like if you need to hurt my heart, hey, here it is. Take aim, go for it. Because I'm fulfilled. You can't. I mean, you can, you can shoot a howitzer into it, but it ain't gonna hurt. You see. If people are trying to harm you, especially if they're trying to hurt your heart, then you can see you're in a, you're really in a world of hurt. You're living in a world of hurt. So you're imbalanced. Do you ever see a family? Did you ever know a family that had maybe three or four children and one of them was, uh, I don't want to be offensive. I, the terminology keeps changing. So it, uh, I'm going to use this word that we used to use and I hope it doesn't offend anyone. One of them is retarded, mentally retarded. Now, sometimes that offends people. I don't know what we're supposed to call I'm old, damn it. Leave me alone. <laughs> Mentally chill. Okay. Did you ever notice that of those, say, four children, one of them is mentally challenged? That one got more love than the other three. From the whole family and the neighbors and everyone. You see? So if someone is imbalanced and they're trying to hurt your heart, they need your love more than anybody, you see, they need it. So if, if someone is taking shots at you to hurt you, you've got to realize I'm unhurtable. You know, I can't, you can't hurt me. I'm an eternal living entity. How can you hurt me? You see, you can call me a fat old man. 
I know that. <laughs> Duh. All right, you guys eat, and I'm going to go take care of some quick business, and I'll be right back. Friday, Sunday, don't let anybody take my plate while I'm going. That's why I'm telling you. It's nice to have you back. We missed you last week. It's not the same without you. Yeah, and then 
it's just a year. And the tools are right here. And so it takes a year. I'm not sure who the girl is. That's who I am. I can see everything here and there. This one upside down. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fulfillment. No agitation on a deep level. Contentment of the heart. Sweet, loving exchanges with God and His devotees. Lots of hope on the horizon. Mind absorbed in the object of love. Oh, sounds good. What you get, total, pure love, you're fulfilled. There's really nothing beyond that. And total and pure love, to get that, um, you have to connect with the source of love. You have to connect with God and start this loving relationship. Once you do that, then you can do that with every living entity. You have to taste the sugar and get the sugar before you can distribute it. For you to know, you're going to taste it. Um, having said that, uh, it's another point I'd like to make is bhakti yoga and this taste, this sweetness, this nectar of exchanging love with God is not something that you have to wait until you die to get. Which is how you know you're fulfilled. If you practice bhakti yoga, you get the sweet taste of exchanging love with God. You actually learn how to love on a transcendental level. You see? So, uh, the process and the end, the goal, are the same. The process is to, or the goal is to have a loving relationship with God and all living entities. And you do that by having a loving relationship with God and all living entities. So the process and the goal are one and the same. See? It's not something that you have to wait for and hope. So in other words, this changes uh, the definition of faith. You see, faith to uh, someone who's practiced bhakti yoga, faith is something that you realize is only temporary. If faith doesn't turn into knowing, like we were talking about this yogi, if it doesn't turn into knowing, it's not going anyplace. I'm just waiting for fulfillment. I have faith that you'll fulfill me. You see, if I have faith that Amazon will fulfill my order, 
I have faith. When they actually do it, my faith goes away. I know that they fulfill my word. If I have faith that you'll be a good friend, after I get to know you, then I know whether you're a good friend or not, you see. So faith is an investment. It's not, and if you don't get a return on your faith, it's blind faith. And you're entitled to have your faith as long as you want to, uh, but be a little greedy. Expect a return on your faith. You should get something. You should be able to quantify it, qualify it. See? It should be. So, because I get it now, then my faith goes away. It turned into knowledge. It turned into cheap. That knowledge. See? Information and synergy input. Yeah, that's information. It's satisfying. It's fulfilling. But it's like meditation. Information and meditation are only as potent as the object. Uh, meditation, you can meditate on anything, but that meditation is only as potent as the object of your meditation. To just be in a state of Nothingness gives you the potency of nothingness. You see? So whatever it is that you meditate on, if I meditate on an apple, I get the potency of an apple. Now, there are some physical things that go along with deep meditation that can give me some peace and... Uh, Along with it, I might be able to control my breathing, which controls my metabolism, my heartbeat, and things like that, circulation. So we're on the physical level, yeah. But, but as far as you connecting, uh, you have to meditate on something that if you want transcendental return, then your meditation has to be transcendental. It means something that transcends this material world. And that's not on the speculative level. Let's, let's meditate on the bright light. The nirvana, I mean, the uh, Brahm Jyoti. Okay, that's real. You can do that. But what about the source of that light? You know, it's like these lights here. If you look inside, there's this little curly piece of metal. And it's glowing. That's the source of the light. So you can meditate on the light or you can get to the source of the light, which is far more interesting. So the source of everything is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We can meditate. Now we don't know what that is. So we meditate on, uh, for the material body, this material world, the strongest energy is sound, sound vibration. And there are many different sound vibrations that are transcendental. One of them is Aum. But Aum, while it includes everything, is still, it's kind of an impartial 
Does anybody know what Om actually means? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's an invocation. You know, it's a, it's the, it's like Vedic mantras. They start like, Om Agyantimarindasya Gananjana Shalakaya Chakshurmanitam Jena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha. Look at how much came after all. You see? I mean, we can go on and on. So many Vedic mantras start with Om. So it's kind of like if, if I say, Renita, you're going to say, yes. <laughs> and then I say, oh, Renita, yes. <laughs> okay, you got my attention. You said my name. You vibrated that sound. So now, what is it? Namo Om. Please expect, now that I have your attention, how about, this is the sweetest one. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So that's complete. Om, God says yes. Namo, oh, obeisances, respect. Bhagavate to you, the possessor of all beautiful opulences. You see? So it, there's, a, there's more to it than just Om. Om gets you started. So if you want to vibrate a perfect sound that uh, asked Krishna to let me associate with you with love through, let me demonstrate my love to you through some service. Let me do something for you. Rather than me just asking you to do stuff for me, which is what 99% of the religions of the world do. And they'll all admit it, you know, God, give me this. God, give me that. All right, God, write this down. Now I'm starting with daily bread because I'm getting hungry, you know. And I got a hell of a test. You know, help me with that test today. And I got a job interview. Help me with that. I want you to help me in a promotion. Help me find a wife or a husband. Help me to find the money to pay the car payment. Gimme, 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 gimme. Now that's pious. Okay. That's pious. That means you know that there is a God and he's the source of everything and you're asking, please get some of your stuff flowing my way, you know, because I'm for you, you know. I'll throw a few bucks in the plate, you know, or whatever, whatever you want me to do. But now I need you to serve me, you see. So... The next step up from that in realization, loving realization, is you've always given me. You've always done for me. What can I do for you? You see, you know, you've got to have a tinge of love to be uh, to that point that where you can say to the source of everything, that which has everything, what can I give you? What can I give you? Because I love you. I want to do something for you. And I'm looking, because I'm developing a personal relationship with you, I'm not seeing you as the source of everything. 
I'm seeing you as my dear most friend, my beloved, my dear Krishna, please. I need you to empower me to please you, to serve you. In other words, I guess what I'm asking for is give me the resources that I need for me to show my love to you. Because it all comes from you. My dear Lord, please help me. I want to please you. I want to show my love. I don't know. I'm just used to saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. Which, I say, as I say, is very pious. But above piety is transcendental love. So that, that mantra is... And you've been doing it before I got here. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So Hare, I pray to the feminine energy, Radha. Please uh, connect me to Krishna. Engage me in loving devotional service. I want to show my love. But you got to help me here. I don't know what to do. I think I'm this body. Because I think I'm this body, I've just adopted all of the limitations of this body. When you get self-realized, when you know you're a soul, all of those limitations disappear. If you're not the body, you don't have the limitations of the body. Which means anything and everything it's possible. It truly is. I remember back in the old days when we were all struggling to establish this movement. Uh, sometimes we would just get an instruction. Go, go to this city and start a temple. Now there was no money and no manpower that came with that. So we need you. If you would do it, go to this particular town and start a temple. Well, that sounds impossible. You know, where am I going to find a big building and the money to pay for it? And I'm all by myself. <laughs> you see? So, but because we knew, I don't have these limitations. The limitations of the material world don't apply to me. Because I'm not of this material world. I'm an eternal, loving associate of the Supreme Godhead. If that's his desire, then he'll give me the potency to do it. And so, so many times we would just go and, without thinking, just go and it would happen. As a matter of fact, it practically never failed. You know, it's like my godbrother, uh, Sham Sundar, uh, our guru, Srila Prabhupada, said to him, go to, go to London, start a temple. So Sham Sundar, he took Prabhupada's instruction well, okay. So, first of all, he's going to have to come up with a way to get to London. <laughs> he did have a couple of people that went with him, though. So, they went to London. They were just kind of hanging out here and there. And so, one day, they said, what, what should we do? And uh, John Sutter said, let's go to Apple Records. We just kind of hang outside, you know. We'll do some kirtan. We'll chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. You know, this, what? How can that miss? So here they are out in front. Of, you know who Apple Records is? That was the Beatles. They had their own label, and so they're out in front of Apple Records and they're chanting Hare Krishna. 
And this limousine pulls up and the Beatles step out. And John Lennon says, do you hear that? That's what we've been looking for. <laughs> Can you come in? Can you come in? Have you got time? It's, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is astounding. And George, John and George took to it very much. Uh, Paul McCartney, yes. Ringo, nobody ever knew where Ringo was. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? But um, John and George were so knocked out by this chanting that they, as soon as they got a chance, they went down to the Greek Isles. Uh, islands and they rented a uh, sailboat and they sailed for three days uh, without sleeping, just chanting Hare Krishna. Now they probably had a little bit of help from some pills or something, you know, to stay awake. I don't know for sure. You know, but uh, it changed everything. You know, it changed the way that uh, it changed all of their lives. So they came back, and um, John says to George, he says, you got to find them. Where did they go? Well, I don't know where they're staying. Well, you've got to find them. You know, find our, these mates that were here. This, you know, this is everything. We had everything, and you let it go. You know, <laughs> so, so then they, it wasn't very long. They bumped into the devotees again. You know, I was walking down uh, Oxford Street, and of course they hear, ching, 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 Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. There they are, you know, so they went and got them. And uh, so John said, uh, I've got, you know, he had bought a castle. Uh, he bought this castle. It was a very famous old ancient castle. Uh, he bought it because it was haunted. I mean, it truly was haunted. I don't know if you believe in that, but it really, really was. And nobody had lived there for, you know, maybe a hundred years. It was hundreds of years old and nobody had lived there. So John bought it and had it all refurbished. And he, they thought it was neat to do acid and deal with the, the ghosts, you know. And so, <laughs> yeah, he was just, it was the 60s. So then they, there was a servant's quarters out back, which was like a really fine house. And so John says, you can live with me, you can move in and, and I'll pay, here's money. You can have your guru come over and he can stay here. And, this will... and so they did that, you know. And so they brought uh, my guru, Srila Prabhupada over. Uh, he was in the United States at the time, they brought him to London. And so John and Yoko were showing him through the, uh, the palace, you know, the castle. And as they're going up these, spiral staircase that almost all of these kind of places have. You know, they almost always have a spiral thing going up. And so uh, my guru, every so often, Srila Prabhupada would stop and he would quietly say, no, just leave. And then they got to the top of the steps and Prabhupada, he raised his voice just a little bit and he said, no, we cannot help you. Just leave this place. And so John, you know, he said, excuse me, Swamiji, uh, but who are you talking to? <laughs> and Prabhupada said, I don't know if you knew it or not, but there were many ghosts here, but I sent them away. No, so they're gone. Prabhupada had told them to leave, and then they had a nice kirtan, you know, 
And so then the devotees and Prabhupada were living in the house. Uh, and uh, every night John Lennon was out there chanting with the devotees and hearing philosophy and talking, staying up late. And Yoko Ono really didn't like it so much. You know, she wasn't so much into the philosophy. It was fun for a while, but she got tired of it. So she put her foot down and she told John, look, this has changed our lives. You know, why don't you, why don't you get them another place? You know, get them out of here. I don't want them here anymore. And so John, he, says, he made arrangements for the devotees to move someplace else. And so, uh, but when the devotees left, then uh, the ghosts came back. <laughs> and John ended up selling that place for like pennies on the dollar. You know, he was, <laughs> he lost a ton of money. Of course, he had a ton of money to lose. But So that's, that's just one for instance, you know, go, go to Japan and start a temple. But I don't speak Japanese, you know, that's really not an impediment. Let's go, have faith. Have faith that you're a devotee of Krishna. Go, just go do it. So, uh, this is what I'm. This is the point I'm, I'm making. You, you should get the return now. You don't have to wait. You know, if it takes a long, long time, then you're doing something wrong. Or you invested your faith in the wrong place. You know, it shouldn't be like uh, a whole lifetime. A real, real long time. If it's real, it's real. I want it now. Not only that, but I want to keep it. I don't want you to take it away. I don't want time to be able to take it away from me. If it's transcendental, it's transcendental to time. So it becomes mine. I get to have it. It, it actually already is yours. <clears throat> but we've limited ourselves to the limitations of a, a mortal body. Yeah. Anybody want seconds? Any questions or discussion? Criticism? I've got thick skin. You can criticize if you want. I just read them from the science magazine. They were recording the sounds of the universe, and they uh, found out that the most intense and loudest sound in the universe was the ohm, and they have that is a and they called the sound a source. That's hmm. kind of right? So, I think I heard something about. Yeah, that. it just came out like about last week. I was just reading about it. So it is. They studied it for a long time, but they couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah, I was saying it is the sound of source. It is the sound of all things, and it is the sound that carries and vibrates throughout the whole universe and, and brings the energy field in. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Are you guys going to college? You go to the university? No. <laughs> Are you like too old to go to college? You've already graduated? Yeah. See, it's hard for me to tell. When you get to a certain age, everybody looks young. No, no. <laughs> I, look, I can't tell. Like, college age or. 
Just post college. Yeah. Yeah. In the right ballpark. <laughs> what do you do? I'm a personal trainer, and we know each other from going to college in Indiana together. Really? Yeah. I grew up in Chicago. What part of Indiana? Just near South Bend. It's called Goshen. Yeah, yeah. Not far from I-65? Yeah, it's so. Yeah. So, how did you get to Tucson? Uh, I just wanted to live somewhere. And you picked the right place. <laughs> Are you from here? No, I am uh, from the Northwest, from the Portland area. Yeah? It's awfully pretty up there. That's why I was talking before about, you know, America being such a unique place. It is. You know, it's um, it's like 50 different countries put together because it's got all types of different, you know, uh, people who come here and travel around, they go back to wherever they came from. They're just amazed. You can't tell. We've got tropical. You know, from Florida to the upper. But I joined Hare Krishna's at a young age. There for a long time, I was changing for many years, changing time zones. Like most people go from room to room. Yeah, it'll. Yeah. And it wrecks, it'll wreck your health after a long time. Yeah, I got But if you stay put, I mean, I finally, about three, a little over three years ago, three and a half years ago, I finally got, uh, decided, up until then, I just traveled. And I decided, and all of my friends that are my age, that we grew up together in the movement, they were saying, you know, you, you need to get some place and stay there for a little while and then continue to travel but have get in one time zone and one climate for a month or two at least at a time otherwise it's just going to grind you down so I did that I, I, I travel about half my time you know, I'm here two or three months and then gone a couple of months so I can if I didn't stay in one place for a while, I don't know where I'd be, you know. Any, any questions or comments? This is kind of, it's kind of crazy philosophy, isn't it? It's upside down because we don't have any fear. You know, we're not afraid of God. 
He's only fearful when he's unknown. You know, when you get to know him, sweetest guy in the world. Wait a minute, sweetest guy outside the world. <laughs> sweetest guy. Yeah. Um, if you practice this bhakti yoga, there's there's some, certain things that will fade away, and you don't know it until years go by, or several months. But one of them, uh, one of the things, one of the first things to go is fear. Yeah. Uh, uncertainty. Uh, loneliness. Um, it's just like I can remember uh, the definition of fear and loneliness, uncertainty. I know what you're talking about when you use those words, but it's been so long. <laughs> Since I've tasted it, I don't remember what it tastes like. It's like I quit eating meat in 1973, and I still know what it is. I sure as hell don't remember what it tastes like. I have no idea. You know, so fear and uncertainty, uh, loneliness. I don't know what it feels like. And I spend sometimes long time, long periods of time alone. You know, traveling. And, uh, but I never feel alone. I always have Radha Sunday, don't I? Even when, you, even when we're not together. <laughs> don't eat that. <laughs> Should I go finish these other ones? Yeah, I like this. You like this? I can eat. It's going to be there. See how she is? So when, you have dis when you have disciples, who's in charge? It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be good to be the guru. You know? <laughs> Being content and happy with any without any external objects, yeah. Content and happy without the external. <coughs> the external. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem with external happiness is it it uh, you can't hold on to it. You know, you get. You get this external happiness, but it only lasts a temporary time. You see? And so I was expecting, it's like I was telling you, the wealthy people that I know, very wealthy people, uh, those who were born into money have a different aspect, have a different point of view. Although they see that it's useless, they don't want to give it away, but they don't see that it gives you happiness. And then there's the, uh, there's a term in Dallas that they use, Nuevo, Nuevo Rich. Yeah, the new money. So I had some money or little money, no money, but I got rich. And those are the ones that are, are uh, kind of angry. 
Because, you know, the I didn't get the bang that I thought I was going to get. I mean, it was like that for a few years. I was making money. I was gaining and I was getting this. And now I'm 45 and where do I go? What, you know, this really hasn't given me this contentment. I don't feel fulfilled. So, uh, psychologist's offices in the, in the Western world are full of people in their mid-40s, and they're successful, and their lives are falling apart, but they've got money, but they just don't know, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know what's kind of funny? In India, there's practically no behavioral health issues. <laughs> you know, I mean, they don't, they don't need psychiatric care. They're, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of odd. They're not, uh, they don't have any phobias. When the average Indian guy, Muslims and Hindus both, what you see is what you get. They don't put on any airs. They don't try to prove anything to you. You know, I mean, they don't even know to do that. They're just, I'm here and you're here. And whatever. You're a rich American and I'm poor Indian, and that's just the way it is. And even though they're very poor, <clears throat> on our, by our standards, tremendously below the poverty level, they're tremendously happy. Families are close. They have a two percent divorce rate. <laughs> they don't. Uh, they don't fight very much in marriages. Uh, a lot of times, what happens in an Indian marriage is the man will exert his male dominance. And a lot of times the wife will say, yes, okay. And then go do exactly what she wants. And every once in a while, she's got to put him in his place. Every so often, she puts him in his place. But if you need your male thing, you know, for you to feel good, if that's what it takes for you to make it through, yes, yes, Prabhu. And then she does exactly what he wants. And he knows better than to say, but I told you to do this and you did. No, no, you know, we don't go there. But he told her, you do this, do it this way. Yes, yes, probably. It's like a game they play. But every so often, she'll get in his face. Okay, yes. So relationships work, you know? Huh? Yeah, we do that in America too. Yeah. Where you go, oh, hey, this is so wonderful. This is so great. I'm so glad. Yeah, you just complimented him, but he's not going to take it. He's going to take it. They do that in the West too. They do that here. Yes. Really? I wonder why the divorce rate's so high. It's like. Do we take offense when they don't reverse? Oh, we need. Yeah, the men say, 
I'm not going to let you get away with that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> You're challenging my manhood. Yeah, <laughs> What is it with Western men and their manhood? Oh, yeah, these, these are first world problems. The men in India, they don't have any problem with it, you know. Very simple living. They just don't have manhood problems. I mean, really, it's it's hard to imagine. They just don't. They don't have this. A lot of things that they don't have. I think they hardly ever have problems with their teeth because their teeth is all pretty. You know, most of them are fit. They don't go to the gym and work out, but they're fit, like athletes. You know. <laughs> Yeah, or they, and they and they walk a lot, and they ride bicycles a lot, and uh, they're active. You know, in the morning when they wake up, they wake up early, and they're out doing something, and they like doing it. You know, uh, so they're fit. They don't worry. They don't worry about their health. Their health is good. You know, it's kind of funny. They they don't have anything, but they don't worry about. You know, they all have shelter and plenty of food. There's a few people that, like we have here, that are homeless and don't have enough to eat. Uh, but the whole country is very charitable. So nobody really worries. If, if they lose everything, they don't worry. Well, you're going to starve. Well, you know, some temple will give you something to eat. Somebody will give you something. You know, it's just, it's just like that. So... Uh, these are all good. You guys are great. Everlasting happiness. That's right. And uh, it's like I was saying before. Uh, if you don't have an idea of what it is, you don't know when you get it. If it's everlasting happiness, then I gotta wait for a long time to see if it's gonna be. If it's gonna last forever. <laughs> no, I want to be. I want to be able. I want it to. Knock me down when I find it. I want to go like have that. Ah, uh, oh, I found it. And then for us, for it to stay. You know, I don't want to have to wait ten years to see if I made the right. You know, it should be. It should have such an impact on you that you become completely changed. Your consciousness is changed. You see the world through different eyes. You know. You see yourself through different eyes and all the entities around you. Not just the human beings, but all living entities. You have respect. And you don't have to have a personal relationship with someone to love them. You don't even have to know them to love them. If you can operate on the transcendental platform. You know? Just because you exist means I know that I love you. Because you exist, you're a lover of Krishna. And he loves you. And whatever he loves, I love. We're, we have the same DNA, you know, spiritually. All, the, all of we, the jivatmas, the souls, uh, we're part and parcel of the Supreme Soul. So we're all kind of joined at the hip, really. It's just this temporary uh, 
bodily consciousness that we have that separates us. You know, are you taking off my love? Krishna, so sweet to see you. I'm so glad you came. See Sunday? Yep, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Oh, intimate friendship and love. Yeah. Um, there were psychologists that did this uh, this research on what people, what motivated people more than anything. And so they were asking people, you know, they gave them a list of things and you rank them, what's most important to you. So, um, like, and they had it worded in such a way, some of these guys, they know how to word things to get you to, to think. So would you rather have uh, money or health? So, would you rather have health or fame? Would you rather have health or love? Ooh, there you go. Now you've got to really grind. Wait a minute. No. Can I get them both? No. Isn't there another box I can check here? Because I don't want to. And it can't, would, would you rather have, they rephrased it so many different ways, you know, would you rather have longevity, perfect health and live a long time without so much love in your life, or be unhealthy and not very much duration but have fabulous love? And so that they did, it was a very long test, and uh, they said the, 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 uh, what they were able to uh, glean from this is that from people that took this test, and I think there were 1,200, um, almost 100% preferred love over everything else. Longevity, health, you know. It all, it all came back down to, yeah, burning love that I, that I know I'll never lose. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll sacrifice health and longevity. So yeah, intimate friendships and love. These are the motivating things for the soul. You know? I have here the last one. Has anybody here ever watched Johnny Carson? Remember when he would say, I have in my hands the last envelope. <laughs> and then the audience would clap. Uh, having a completely open heart, yeah. Yeah, how can you, if you have, if you're on the bodily consciousness, uh, you're caught up in uh, the four activities. Not, there's four things that motivate you to do things, but there are four activities that all living entities have to do. Eating, Sleeping, mating, and defending. So all living entities have to eat, they have to sleep. They have this overwhelming desire to mate. And once you get something to eat, a place to sleep, and someone to mate with, you have to defend it. So 
in the material consciousness, I have to be defensive because you never know who has come to take what you have. So uh, that's true for all animals. Human beings are a little bit more sophisticated because we have security alarms and closed circuit TV and things like that. But the dogs have, you know, teeth and nails. They have to defend what, whatever it is that they get. So how can you be open and loving if you have to also be defensive? And so there even maybe there's a little bit of defensive nature in all of our relationships. It's hard to be open, you know, because if I'm open, what if you come along and stab me in the back? I mean, we've all had that experience, haven't we? You know, so then you listen, you pour your heart out and then they use it against you. <laughs> so, um, what is that? There's a, uh, there's a, a German word, Schungenfeld. Schungenfeld means uh, that I, I use, uh, I get pleasure from hurting others. Yeah, if I can, yeah, if I can hurt your reputation, that'll give me pleasure because it gives, it gives me the feeling of power over you, you know. Uh, that feeling of, of wanting to have power over someone uh, is the basis for crime, rape, uh, molestation. You know, I just want to have, I want to have, I'm trying to prove to myself and maybe to you too, that I have power over you. So you had faith in me. You poured your heart out. And I put it on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, there's that element in the material world, which makes this not a real pleasant place all the time. But if we, if we can escape that, you know, this material consciousness, then the world, it's still a rotten place in many ways, but it's tolerable. I'm not part of this world, you see. If you practice bhakti yoga, then this uh, merry-go-round of birth after birth stops and you transcend. You go uh, back to your personal relationship with God. And there's nothing preventing us from having that now except us, because I don't want it. I want what I want. I want to be wealthy, famous, you know, I want to do my own thing. Those that are looking for God, find God. If you're really looking for him, he's not that far away. But we, most of us get caught up in things that we want for ourselves, you know, and that's okay. It's not first class, it's not gonna make you happy, but I'm, I know what I want for my life. And yeah, I'm sure there's a God and I'm sure he's a great person or not. Maybe he's just light or energy, I don't know. Well, I'm not concerned with that. Right now, I need this, you know. I want this and I need that. And so we're in pursuit of something for me satisfy me oh, but as soon as we get to the point where we want to satisfy God 
It's not that hard. He's like standing right next to us. <laughs> when we left the spiritual world, when we lost our consciousness of this loving personal relationship that we've had for eternity with him, uh, we lost our consciousness. He didn't. With him, the relationship's still going. He's not pissed off. He's not even surprised. Because you uh, have free will. You can come and go. For, for love to have any uh, meaning, and, you know, he's the source of love, so he, he's got to deal with the real thing. He doesn't want any cheap love. So for love to have any real meaning, it can't be forced. You see, or it can't be intimidated. You know, it's not like, you better love me. You know, you bastard, if you don't, you're going to get, you know. You see those thunderbolts? Do you know how many thunderbolts I have? So you better be loving me. Well, come on, you know, how are you going to love? So with him, he doesn't have to take second best. So he has to give you free will, which means that you can choose or choose not to love. But he knows that he's the most lovable and the most sought the most satisfying object. So he knows, even if you leave me, you'll come back. You know, he doesn't worry. Oh my God, is he gone forever? <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have to get counseling. <laughs> Krishna always remembers he's Krishna. I'm the most beautiful. I'm the most attractive. I got the best jokes. I'm the most romantic. You know, you may think you're going to leave me, but it may take you billions of years, but you'll be right back. <laughs> and in, in the scope of any, for an eternal living entity, billions of years isn't even a nanosecond. I highly recommend it. I'm so tired, so I'm just going to... Yeah, I think we should kind of wrap it up, huh? It's just been really interesting. Thank you very much. Mary, it's always sweet to see you. I just don't want you to move away. It'd be nice if you'd stay. That's not uh, Hey, thanks for saying that. Well, you'll be back. Thank you. Yeah, you'll be back. Thanks. Are you Krishna, Jesse? Still want to ask you about my question. Oh Where, yeah, I, mean, I, I forgot. That. That's all right. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna talk to you about that. Okay. That's a good I'll subject. Uh, okay. Guys, it's Sunday. Okay. All right. Thank, Thank you, Krishna. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for coming out, guys. Yeah. You know, I'm Joel. Yeah. 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 Could, would you wrap it for me? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just take it. Yeah. I'm so pumped. I don't want to eat. Do you guys practice? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to go wrap it for this. Okay. Thank you, Chaitanya. You're the sweetest. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah.
Watching a video. No, no, yeah. Yeah. Actually, no. No, Kirsten was giving us that. We're watching a video on Sunday. Okay. But I told, I told him, I said um, to, to, you know, recommend if you like to give. So I, I, I might, I might wanna. I'm interested in doing it. Just see how my. What kind of yoga is it? Is it like oh, my sleep is gone. I've been waking up a lot. So I don't know. Yeah. I'll know tomorrow. Would you send me the verse? Yeah. I'll tell Kirtan Prabhu too because that way he knows as well because he's not going to. He's he's 